If you will turn with me in your Bibles to Micah chapter 1 and 2. Micah is found towards the back of the Old Testament. If you are new to reading scripture, the big numbers in your Bible are the chapter numbers and the small numbers are the verses. So I'll be reading chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Micah. And these are the words of the Holy Spirit spoken through the prophet Micah. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable. And it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. And Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shaphir, in nakedness and shame, inhabitants of Zaanan, do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Mareth wait anxiously for good. Because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore, you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. To the houses of Axib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Moresha. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourself as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They will covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. 
They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. In that day, they shall take up a taunt son against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate, he allots our fields. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest. Because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and under wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher of this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in the fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get right down to work this morning. Father, we thank you for bringing us here, uh, giving us another day of life, uh, giving us so many good gifts to enjoy. I pray that you'd use all of those good gifts to turn our hearts back to you where they belong. Help us not to be focused on the gifts, but rather let the gifts point us back to you, our our Father. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us. He is our rescuing King. Jesus, we thank you that you would lay down your life and die in our place so that we could live. Thank you that you are not a dead Savior. You defeated death. You put death in the grave, and our life is with you. We live in you now, and we thank you for giving us your Spirit Spirit, we thank you for opening our ears and opening our eyes to be able to hear and see our Father, and we pray that you would do that again this morning. Uh, Open our ears and open our eyes so that we see our dad and we hear his voice and our hearts uh, come to life again through our Father's voice, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So Lauren just read for us from the Old Testament book of Micah, and we this morning are going to begin our new series there, Micah. Our series theme is this, our story, uh, systemic rebellion and surprising hope. Our story, systemic rebellion and surprising hope. So there are kind of three pieces to that sentence, a story, rebellion, and hope. So story, who are we talking about? Who are the characters here? Well, uh, in verse 
1 of chapter 1, we see that we have uh, the word of the Lord. So God is the feature character of this entire story. He's the one speaking. Uh, We know that he's speaking through Micah. So Micah is going to feature prominently. He's a prophet, somebody who speaks to God's people on behalf of God. And we also see from verse 1 that it's the word of the Lord through Micah concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So two prominent cities, we'll learn a little bit more about them. Basically, for the context, what's going on is uh, this is the nation of Israel that we're talking about. And shortly after the reign of Solomon, after King Solomon died, Israel divided into two kingdoms. It was broken. So that was about 930 B.C., The northern kingdom, or what was known as Israel, was home to 10 of the 12 tribes. Samaria was the capital of Israel, or the northern kingdom. We already saw Samaria mentioned. Samaria, for you history buffs, Samaria fell to Assyria in... 722 BC. I was waiting. I know some of you know. Uh, You sing the songs with your classical education. I know you know the songs. All right, 722. Southern kingdom, the southern kingdom lasted a lot longer. That was known as Judah. Uh, It was home to just two of the tribes, and Jerusalem was the capital of that southern kingdom. Jerusalem survived a siege in 701. You can read it about read it about it in your history books and it didn't fall until 586, almost another 150 years. So who do we have in our storyline, right? Just by way of summary, we have the word of the Lord. It's God speaking, God speaking through the prophet Micah, and he's speaking to the residents of Samaria and Jerusalem. But what we need to understand is those two cities are used representatively for all of God's people, right? Because they're capital cities, hearts of their regions, they're used representatively. When did this take place? Well, we see that Uh, in verse 1, that this took place in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Those were three kings of Judah, remember the southern kingdom, and their reign spanned from about 742 BC to 686, okay, 742 to 686. Now, some global dynamics for context, and for those of you who are my skeptical friends, and if that's you, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, What else was going on in the world? Uh, Well, legend has it that Rome was founded about 753, but that's a whack story, so who knows if it actually was founded then or a little bit later, right? But Rome's coming into existence. Um, Assyria, the Assyrian Empire is the dominant global power. They run, like their foreign policy rules the world. And in 701, the most important military town in Judah, a town called Lachish, and we're going to learn a little bit more about them later uh, this morning, Lachish fell to Assyria. And here's why I'm mentioning this, because I, I know some of you are skeptics, and I know some of you think the Bible is inconsistent with history, so I just want to give this to you. Uh, Artwork depicting the Battle of Lachish was unearthed on palace walls located in Nineveh. And some of you have been to Nineveh, uh, some of you older men and women, because the younger generation has not really been there, but that would be Mazul. Some of you have actually been there, and it's on the palace walls in Mazul that this artwork was uncovered. And you can go see it now because, well, you can't. You need to put in an ETP, but they're going to shoot it down. You're not going. 
But post-Rona, you can go see this. It's at the, uh, it's at the British Museum in London. You can go uh, see this artwork right there, post-Rona. Okay? So that's who and when. Uh, the second piece of our, se- our sentence, the systemic rebellion. Right. So we have the story piece, and now we need the systemic rebellion piece. Micah is going to address the systemic rebellion of God's people. One historian wrote of it this way. He said the time before Micah was marked by economic prosperity. Okay, so just like us in America, in the West, time before Micah was marked by economic prosperity, but political, social, and moral corruption. That sounds familiar, right? Sounds very familiar. It was bad. It was, it was awful. It was worse in the North. One historian wrote of the Northern Kingdom that it was a tale of unmitigated disaster. How would you like the history of your country to be written that way? A tale of unmitigated disaster. You notice in the opening, Micah mentions three kings, right? Mentioned three kings. But all three of those kings were from the South. None of them were from the North. That was God's way of saying, you're all illegitimate up there. You're not even real kings. I'm not going to mention you. But it's also, the other reality was, uh, not only were they not true kings, kings in the north didn't live long enough to have a letter written to them. It was assassination after assassination. Like, you would be a king for a couple weeks or a couple months, and you were dead, and you were going to be replaced. Like, Samaria, the northern kingdom, is or was a real-life Game of Thrones. Like, it was so nasty and messy there that life in Samaria, everyday life, would make you feel like Game of Thrones should be on PBS Kids. Like that's how crazy things were up north. The south was almost as dark. The three kings mentioned. Jotham was goodish, right? He was okay. Hezekiah was really good, if you know your history about Hezekiah. But Ahaz, not so much. Uh, This is from 2 Kings chapter 16. It says this, Ahaz walked in the way of the kings of Israel, period. He even burned his son as an offering, right? So there's the king that's kind of setting the pace for the culture of the land. He burned his son as part of a worship gathering to worship the gods uh, that they were presently worshiping. And so this is how Micah writes about, about the state of God's people, chapter 1, verse 9. Her wound is incurable. That's how messed up things were in the north. And that's how messed up things were in the south. That was the only thing that Micah could really say. Her wound is incurable. And it had an aggressive spread. Look at what he says. It has come to Judah. It's reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. So not only is it incurable, it's aggressive, it's spreading. And he's saying it's reached the gate of my people Jerusalem. And when he says that, Jerusalem would be a symbolic representation or the heart of God's people, the center of the life of God's people. It's iconic. And so the implication there is in all the land, there's no place uninfected by this rebellion. There's no place. It's systemic, personally systemic and publicly systemic. And so Micah tells us what the outcome is. Because there is an incurable wound, there is no place to rest for you. No place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. Okay, so it was systemic, both personally and publicly. That systemic rebellion, guys, this is always the pathway of rebellion from God. You got to mark this down. This is always the progression or the digression. Uh, 
rebellion, which becomes a systemic rebellion, which leads to a grievous disaster or destruction that Mike is writing about. And third and finally, what ends up happening in your life when you rebel from the God who created you, there will be no rest for your soul. No rest. You will not find rest anywhere. Sounds like a great start to this study, right? This is going to be fantastic. So Micah writes in three cycles, just so you know where the book goes. There are three cycles. Three cycles of doom, kind of like he, he nails it as a prophet, doom and gloom, three cycles of doom and gloom through the book. But each cycle of doom or announcement of judgment is followed by a pronouncement of hope, right? There's, there's always a word of hope reminding us that in the gospel, hope is the final word. Hope is always the final word. And here's a glimpse. Lauren read it for us. Chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. After the first cycle of doom, here's the word of hope. God says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. Uh, That was a, a personal name for one of their ancestors, but he would speak to them collectively through this name, Jacob, my people. I'm going to assemble you. I'm going to gather the remnant of Israel. I'm going to set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. I'm going to be a shepherd for you. I'm going to cure your incurable wound. He who opens the breach goes up before them. Verse 13, they break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Okay, so here's what we see from chapters one and two. And here's our big idea for today. Here it is. Their sin would be an incurable wound, disaster, if not for a promised rescuing shepherd king. That's our big idea for this morning from chapters 1 and 2. Your sin would be an incurable wound, personal disaster, if not for a promised rescuing shepherd king. All right, so there's our story There's the idea of systemic rebellion. There's a glimpse at the surprising hope that's going to come. Let me just introduce you to Micah as a person just a little bit more. And here's what I want to say about Micah. Micah is the friend that you didn't know you were going to make in 21. And you need him. You need to be friends with Micah. He needs to be your friend. You need to hear his voice. Uh, Micah's name, I know some of you are named Micah. I know a friend of mine has... Micah as a middle name. The name Micah means, hey, who is like our God? Who is like our God? Now, we need this question every day. You need a friend who's going to ask you this question every day on the good days and on the bad days. The inflection different on the good days and the bad days. On the good days, dude, who is like our God? He gave you this gift again. Describe who is like him. And on the bad days, John, man. I know you can't see it right now, but who is like our God? You'll see it again. Who's like him, right? We need this question on the good days and the bad days. Uh, Micah is from a small town by the name of Morishef. It was a small town way down deep in the south, and it was in hill country. So you could be in Morishef, and you could look out, and you could see all these other towns that are mentioned in chapter 1 of this letter. Of this letter. But he was, he was about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem, so that means Micah spoke as an outsider, He spoke into a broken world as an outsider. For those of you who like the history of the Old Testament, Micah was preceded by Amos and Hosea, two prophets that kind of came right before him. And the reason we don't know a ton about Micah is his contemporary was Isaiah. 
Isaiah's the well-known guy from the big city. Micah's from the small town up in the hill country, right? Isaiah would have been blue check verified on Twitter. That's Isaiah. Micah, maybe a few hundred, a thousand followers, at least a dozen of which would have been his mother's burner accounts on Twitter. So like he just, Isaiah's blue check verified. Micah's just not really that well-known. So he speaks not only as an outsider, but as a lesser known voice. But listen, no less important. They needed Micah. And what I want to say to you this morning is you maybe have never heard of Micah before. That's okay. You need Micah. And you need what Micah says. We need Micah. Micah brings the heat. Here's a quote that I really like about Micah. It says this, It's safe to say that if Micah does not make you feel uncomfortable, it's a clear sign that you are not reading it correctly. Okay? If Micah doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, you're just not reading his words correctly. And another quote, uh, one commentator said this, Micah is certainly not meant to be a feel-good read. So he's the friend you need, but he's going to say some hard things to you. It's going to be a, an uncomfortable conversation. Micah was known as the conscience of Israel. None of you like your friends who try to be your conscience, do you? But guys, this is... The Spirit speaking through Micah. It's an important piece to our conscience that we need. We need Micah's outside voice. We need that question, hey, who is like our God? And I'm just telling you this morning, we need Micah's heat. We need Micah to throw the fastball. Micah doesn't throw any curveballs. Baseball's coming. We're like a week away from opening day. Micah doesn't throw any change-ups, nothing off-speed. Micah just brings the heat. He's the closer out of the bullpen that's just going to go, come in and throw 99 miles an hour. He's just going to go th- throw strikes all night long um, with clarity. He's going he's to bring the heat, and we need that. But that's not all. Like, maybe it sounds like Micah's just this rough friend who says hard things and doesn't care. But Micah is a friend with empathy. We saw this when Laura, Lauren read for us in verses 8 and 9. Micah is very well aware that this is a broken people he's speaking to. So for those of you here this morning who feel the brokenness, you feel what he's describing. Look at what Micah says. For this, I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked, which you don't have to be like Micah. Um, Culturally, that was just their way of saying, I'm going to mourn for you. I'm going to grieve for you. I feel your pain. We could say it that way. I'm going to feel your pain. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches, for her wound is incurable. Uh, Jackals and ostriches, just symbols for being wild and desolate. You could almost hear, if you close your your, your eyes, a jackal on your National Geographic channel, just kind of a a howling at nighttime. That's what Mike is saying. I'm going to let out a howling cry for you. I'm going to feel your pain, and I'm going to sit in this with you. So our honest... And empathetic friend is going to give us three cycles of doom, but each cycle of doom, if you will, is going to be followed by hope. And today we're going to take a look at the first cycle in chapters one and two. So again, our story, systemic rebellion, but surprising hope. Before we can really see our story with clarity, we've got to look at their story, okay? So let's look at their story. And what we're going to see is their sin is an incurable wound, disaster. And we're going to see kind of five key ideas, just five key ideas about that incurable wound through the first two chapters. And here's the first key idea for you. Micah is looking them in the eyes and saying, listen to me, you need my voice. 
See, in our culture, we've been trained to tune that voice out. And what God, your father, wants you to hear this morning is this serious, even foreboding voice is the voice that your soul needs in this season. Listen. Verse 2 of chapter 1 says, hear me. Pay attention to me. Who? Who? You peoples. It's clearly from the the hill country in the south. All y'all. All y'all need to listen right now to what I'm going to say. Guys, this is for you. This is for me this morning, all of us. And what does he say in verse 2? God is going to take the witness stand against his people. Now, when we hear that as Western Christians, we think, wait, why does God sit in the, in the witness stand? Shouldn't he be the lawyer who's going to bring in the charges or the judge? But when Scripture says that God sits in the witness stand, he's sitting, there's not going to be a cross-examination. Right? There's no cross-examination with God. So when God sits in the witness stand, he speaks with authority out over us, and nobody gets to question him. There is no cross-examination. And we see he's going to speak an announcement of judgment from verses 3 to 6. We learn that God is coming out of his place. That's never a good thing. I don't know if you ever grew up with this, but did you, ever grow, did you grow up with a parent who said, don't make me, fill in the blank? God doesn't level threats. He just makes the announcement. God doesn't say, if you don't stop, I'm going to pull over. God says, I'm pulling the car over. Right? He is coming down. He's coming down. He's coming out of his place and down to ours. He's going to tread upon the high places of the earth, it says. And when we read that, high places of the earth, high places would be symbolic of human power and human worship. So what God is saying is, I am going to walk all over your sense of power, your sense of autonomy from me. I'm going to walk all over that. And I'm going to walk all over your misplaced worship of me. I'm going to walk all over it. And when I do, your mountains, your power, and your misplaced worship will melt away as if they never existed. The valleys will split open like wax before fire. Your perceived power and your substitute gods will run like water over a cliff's edge. Guys, in our rebellion, we feel so self-confident. I'm just telling, and I'm not telling you, Mike is telling you, when we come face to face with the God who created us, all of our perceived confidence, all of that sense of autonomy, all of that rejection of the God who has created us will come crumbling down like uh, an avalanche off of a mountain, will melt like wax before a fire, and will run like water over a cliff's edge. Sounds severe, right? Because it will be. It will be severe, but why? Why so severe? Verse 5, Micah points out their transgression and their sin. He says, look at Samaria and Jerusalem. Again, representative for all the people. Kind of like we would say, oh, did you guys know there was a strong earthquake in Tokyo yesterday? Do you know how many texts and Facebook messages and calls I got? John, you okay? You good? Did you feel that? No, I'm good. I'm like hundreds of miles away, three-hour plane ride, like I'm solid. But why did all my friends back home reach out to me? Back home, this is home. Back in the States, reach out to me. Tokyo symbolic for Japan. Tokyo had an earthquake. Japan had an earthquake. But we know that's not how it works. So that's what God is, is, is doing when he's using these, titles, these names, Samaria and Jerusalem. They're representative. There is a systemic rebellion God's special people were created to 
be loved by God and to love him, to live for his fame and to live for the good of other people. What does systemic rebellion look, look like? We step out from under the love of our father. We, we reject that love. We don't love him back. We love ourselves. We love other created things more. Okay, so the, the love is turned upside down. We don't live for our father's fame. We live for our own fame and our own advancement and our, right? So we reject that. That's turned upside down. And rather than living for the good of other people, we live for our own good and we will use people to advance our own personal good. And that's exactly what's happened. Opposite and upside down. Therefore, God says, because of your rebellion, I am, I am pulling the car over. Not I might if you don't stop. I am coming in judgment. And that judgment will be complete. Look at this. The way he describes Samaria, a city. What does he say? He says it's going to become an empty field. Like it did not even exist. You, you won't even know there was a city there. It will be destroyed from its walls all the way down to its foundations. And then in verse 7, we learn something about the heart of their rebellion. Micah says, all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All of her wages shall be burned with fire. And all of her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them. And to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. So in that culture, their carved images, their, their idols were physical representations of their substitute gods. Our physical representations are different. We don't have carved images and idols. We have bank accounts and we have internet access and we have, we have, we still have physical representations. They're just not carved out of wood. You've got a stack right here. You've got an I love me wall somewhere. You've got whatever. We have physical representations still. They're just not carved out of wood um, as idols, right? God says they're going to be burned with fire. They're going to be laid waste beaten to pieces. So what were her substitute gods, right? Not, again, the wood was just a representation, but we get a clue here. God, through Micah, uses two words. He, he uses this word, their wages, and then he talks about a fee of a prostitute. So we, we, we can gather through these words and through the rest of the storyline, there's something about wealth going on, right? Wealth and power that comes with money and comfort and something about sexuality as well. Um, and they were a, a sexually broken culture because they had taken God's gift of sexuality to be enjoyed beautifully as an awesome gift within the sacred bounds of a marriage between a husband and a wife. And they had taken that gift and they had run every other place that they could go with it. And as a result, they were experiencing this brokenness, just like we have as a culture and as we, like we are and these words, though, also point to a spiritual adultery. When he talks about the fee of a prostitute, he's saying, look, you guys are just like a, a prostitute. You were loved perfectly, but you have shown yourself to be unfaithful. You have stepped out from underneath the perfect love of the God who created you, and you have pursued love and acceptance and affirmation in all the wrong places. So you were being perfectly loved, and now you're being perfectly used by all these substitute gods. You got to listen to me. Listening to me is the only way out. Okay, so the first key idea as we explore this incurable wound is Guys, we've got to listen to the voice of our Father through Micah. Secondly, what we need to see through Micah is that there is no escape 
for a rebel. There is no escape from the judgment of God. Now you see this list of cities, right? You see all these town names and stuff. What Micah does is he uses some wordplay to make his point. And what's his point? His point is, the rebellion has led to an incurable wound. That's his first point. And the second point is, guys, listen, your rebellion is leading you to an inescapable judgment. That's his, that's his point. So remember, Micah's from Morasheth, where? A town in the hill country down south. And all of the town or city names that he's going to list right here, he can see as he's writing his letter. He can sit down at his favorite outlook on the, on the hill, on the mountain, and he can look out and he can physically see every one of these towns that he's going to mention. They're all within about nine miles of where he's sitting uh, writing this down. So let's just run through them briefly, right? Here is where our rebellion from God takes us, our incurable wound and our inescapable judgment. Gath, in the ancient language, that, that word gath sounded like the same word uh, where you would say, I'm going to tell something or I'm going to say something. And so what Mike is saying is, uh, Gath, tell town or spoken town, but not a word will be spoken. In other words, this wound and this judgment will be cringeworthy, but you will be left in stunned silence. You won't even be able to talk about it. And Beth Le Afra is known as a house of dust. And the only thing that people in this town will be able to do as a result of their rebellion is go roll in the dust. And Shafur, which was a town of, it was known for its beauty. Micah says, listen, your rebellion is so systemic. The only thing you will be able to do, beauty town, is that you will be left exposed in your nakedness and your shame. Zanon sounded like the word come out. And so Micah looks to the residents of Zanon and says, your name sounds like come out. But nobody's coming out of your city. You will be trapped in your rebellion. Beth Azel was known as a house of protection. And Micah's like, nothing will be able to keep you safe. In fact, nothing in your town will be left standing. Maroth, bitter town, Micah says, you can wait anxiously for good, but because you have rebelled from your father, you will never taste sweetness. Lakish, we already learned about Lakish, right? You can go view that in in, in the museum in England. Lakish was the strongest military town in the south. Parts of that city had a 20-foot wall. I mean, it was built to last. And look, look at what Micah says. Micah says to them, Saddle up, harness the steeds to your chariots. That would be his way of saying, run. You think you're going to fight and win? You're not. All you have left to do is run. House of Akzib, uh, that name actually means deception town. Fantastic. Um, it turns out that's where all the military recruiters were. were that's where all their house, houses were, deception town. They were known for manufacturing and business And so what Micah is saying to them is your prosperity is an illusion. You're bankrupt. Guys, this, we need to hear this more than anything else, because what do we hear over and over and over again? The prosperity and the freedom and the American dream that we know in the West is a sign of God's blessing. Is it? Or is it an illusion? Do we actually live in deception town? And I think if the prophet were here speaking to us, well, he is. Yes, he would tell us we live in deception town. It's an illusion. 
Marishah, that town actually means conquering town, strong town. And to him, to them, Micah says, the conquering town will be conquered. We could do the same thing with names out here. Kadena, keystone of the Pacific. To Kadena, Micah would say, your keystone is going to sink to the bottom of the Pacific in your rebellion. Marines, when I first got out here to Okinawa years ago, it was fight tonight. But that's not good enough for Marines, so what is it now? Fight now. Tonight's too far away. We're going to fight right now. Right now. To you, Micah would say, there's no fight in you. You're not going to fight now. You're going to be caught napping now. You're not going to fight now. You're not going to fight tonight. You'll be asleep tonight, and you're going to lose now. Uh, we got to hit them all, Army. First of the first, yeah? Micah would say to you, you're going to be the last of the last in your rebellion. Navy, I had to work at this one. Anchors away. I don't know what else is going on out here. Um, Your anchors are going to weigh you down. We have these perceptions of strength and security that we're good, that, that, that I'm good. And Micah's the good friend that we need who's looking us in the eyes and telling us the truth because of our systemic rebellion from the Father. You are not okay. If you continue down your path of rebellion, you will be left in stunned silence with no tears. You will be rolling in the dust. All you will know is nakedness and shame. You will never get out. There will be nothing of your life left standing. You will long for sweetness, but all you will know is the bitter taste of distance from the God who created you. Your strengths will turn into your liability. You will not be able to stand and fight. You will try to run. All of your strengths will prove to be an illusion and it will display that we are bankrupt in rebellion from the Father. We are not conquerors that we think we are in our late teens to our 20s. We will be conquered by our rebellion from the Father. Micah closes that section by talking about Abdullam. It's a cave. He's talking about a cave. Do you know what happened in that cave? Who was Israel's greatest, most beloved king? David, right? When David was at his lowest point, do you know where he went to hide? This cave. This is Micah's way of saying, you will be hiding too, just like David at his lowest point in a cave. The best you can do, he says, is make yourself bald, cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle for they will go from you into exile. Guys, Micah is speaking with clarity about a rebel's future. There is no escape. There is no escape and you will be just like David at your lowest point hiding in a cave. So we need to listen to Micah's voice. We need to understand there is no escape from the consequences of our rebellion. And then third, we need to be able to name our rebellion. Micah names it. I love this quote from Stephen. Um, He says this, restoration comes through rebuke. So if you want to be restored, if you want to be reconciled to your father, if you want your incurable wound to be healed, you have got to speak with great clarity about the specifics of your rebellion from the Father. The only pathway to restoration is to receive rebuke, and that's what Micah is offering us. Their specific sin here in chapter 2 that he's going to address is social injustice against the poor and the powerless. Uh, Micah was known as the prophet of the poor and the oppressed, and I love this quote about Micah. It says, 
pinched peasant faces peer from between Micah's words. I love that imagery. He is speaking on behalf of all of the poor and the oppressed. And verse 1 of chapter 2 starts out with this word that we don't use in our English very much. Woe. Well, not like woe, but woe to you. And that is a very sobering word. When used in the scripture, it is a pronouncement of judgment. Woe to those who divide wickedness, who work evil on their beds. In other words, those who plan ahead. When the morning dawns, they carry out their plan because it is, here's the key word for Micah in chapter two. They have power. They use their power, right? So they have power in, uh, power of their hands. Now, listen, what he's talking about is power that is unjustly used, um, to use people for personal gain. So Micah very specifically is talking about economic injustice, injustice and inequities that existed. Again, we talked about this last week. If you don't think God, if you think God does not care about inequity, we just need to read more of the prophets. God cares deeply about equity of starting point and equity of outcome. So there's economic injustice and inequity because they were using their power, their position, and their privilege for personal gain rather than for the good of others. Now, listen, those are buzzwords for us today. And what I need to say is there is not anything inherently wrong with being in power or having position or, depending on your definition of privilege, having certain privileges. Not necessarily anything wrong. The problem is with how our systemically corrupt hearts use power and use position and use privilege. And how were they using their power, position, and privilege? They took whatever fields they wanted. And now this is an agrarian society. So fields are the way that everybody earns money to care for their families. It's their business and their family support. And, but they were taking fields. They were taking houses. They were using their power and position to oppress powerless people for personal gain. And it was to the extent that, notice it says, they were even taking a man and his inheritance. They were, they were so bent on their own personal gain, they would even take from another man or person what he or she was trying to save for their future generation with no consideration as to the consequences in that family's life. So Micah is clearly speaking to the oppressing class, right? Right now, he's speaking to the oppressors. But that's not the only group that he's speaking to. And we need to hear this. Micah would also be calling out those who benefit from economic oppression, even if they themselves are not the oppressors. He's speaking to people who are unaware that they are actually participating in and benefiting from the work of the oppressors. He's calling them out too. He is also calling out those in both kingdoms who saw this oppression and who saw the inequity and who saw these social injustices taking place, but remain silent. And in their silence, maybe because of indifference, who knows? But Micah is calling them out as well. Everyone is culpable. Micah doesn't play games because restoration comes through rebuke. Simply put, Micah doesn't play games because our father doesn't play games. Guys, he names our rebellion. Okay, he names it. So our big ideas so far, we got to listen to Micah's voice. 
We've got to understand there's no escape from judgment. And third, we have got to name specifically our rebellion, which, which flows into our fourth big idea. God judges personally. Look at between verses three and five. God says, I'm devising disaster against this family. They won't be able to pull away. I'm going to take your swagger out of your step and I'm going to replace it with a limp. It's going to be a time of disaster for you. In fact, it's going to be so bad that people are going to write a song about you and hear the lyrics to the song. Here's the opening line for you. All you will be able to sing of yourselves is we are utterly ruined. God took away everything I had gained and he's given it all to another person. That will be the song of the person who persists persists in rebellion from the father. And then he makes this chilling statement to them. He says, there will be none to cast the line by lot. Now we have no idea what that means because we don't cast the line by lot. But in God's family, what what that means is a family representative would go and they would cast the line by lot in order to divide up parcels of land for their family's well-being. And Micah's saying, if you persist in rebellion, you, when this day comes there, you will not be present and you will not have a a representative to stake out your claim for you. In other words, your judgment will lead you to be outside of the family and it will be a permanent judgment. You will not any longer be a part of the family. And so that helps us to think about rebellion this way. Rebellion, any expression of our rebellion from the Father, is a day of delight followed by an unending season of disaster. Rebellion will always lie to us and tell us this will be good and this will be enjoyable. And it may be for a very short season, but rebellion is a day of delight followed by an unending season of disaster because God judges. And guys, some of us really struggle with this, but let's, let's, just, let's just say this. Our culture, at least by the way our culture talks, you would be led to believe that our culture cares deeply about justice right now, right? Would, would that be fair to say justice is all over the place? And if it's a true justice that we're talking about, that's fantastic. Fantastic! We should all care about justice. So it's beautiful that that is in our public discourse now. But guys, you have to understand this. For justice to happen, judgment has to occur. Oppressors have to be called out. Racism has to be named specifically. Wherever there is any injustice, it's not just enough to say, well, there's injustice. It has to be named specifically. So if God is going to prove himself just, which he is just, what does he have to do? He is obligated to name rebellion specifically, but that's also not enough, right? When we see injustice, it's been named in our culture, but what are people, what, what is all the angst about now? We want to see something done about it finally, right? We want real justice, That's why so many people would even include a conversation of reparations to talk about what should be done based upon past injustices. That's the passion there. Guys, if God is just, he's got to name it, but he's also got to judge it. And that makes us very uncomfortable. But if God doesn't judge sin, he's not just. And this is all just charades. There's no such thing as justice. So he's going to judge. God will judge personally. Okay, our fifth key point, Micah is the friend that they need. Verse six, Micah gives voice to his listeners. They're like, yo, Micah, don't, pre- don't talk about stuff like this. Uh, don't talk about sin. Don't talk about injustice. Don't talk about oppression. Don't talk about judgment. Don't say things like disgrace is gonna overtake us. Like, just preach the gospel, Micah. Just, just, just preach the gospel. Just tell us some Bible stories. But back to Micah, verse seven, why not? 
he would say. Hasn't God been patient with you for generation after generation? He's put up with your systemic uh, injustice for a long time, your systemic rebellion. He sent so many prophets. He's been gentle with you. You've not listened to, to them. Wouldn't my words do good to those who walk uprightly or to those who listen and respond to God? Of course, yes. But verses eight and nine, you've shown yourself to be an enemy of God. They'd be like, what? We're not God's enemy. We're God's people. And that's what we'd say this morning. And it's like, we're not God's enemy. We're God's people. No, Micah says, it's not about what you say. It's about your manner of life. How are we proving ourselves to be God's enemy? The way we treat people or the way that we passively watch as people are treated unjustly and we do nothing about it shows a person not to be a friend of God, but to be, according to Micah, an enemy of God. He's saying, as you have used your power, your position, and your privilege to pursue personal gain, your actions have impacted unsuspecting people who were just passing by, and your selfishness has caused even a mother and her children to lose their home. Uh, One pastor and author that I really appreciate, uh, he's an artist as well, his name is Kurt Kennedy. He says this, he says, poverty exists not because we can't feed the poor, but because we can't satisfy the rich. Guys, we need to be very careful about how we read Micah. I'm not assuming anything about any of you in here, but most of us come from somewhat, well, let's just say it this way. We really are not the poor and the oppressed that Micah's talking about here. Where are we in the West? We tend to be in the class of people that have some power or have some position or have some privilege. We need to be very careful with how we hear Micah. Poverty exists not because we can't feed the poor, but because we can't satisfy our rebel hearts. In verse 10, chapter 2, God now uses the words that they would have spoken as an eviction notice to this mom and kids that they're kicking out of their house. He flips it and he hands them an eviction notice of their own and he says, I want you to get up and get out of here. This will not be a place of rest for you, which is God's way of saying, family, you will never know rest in your rebellion. You cannot know rest in your rebellion. The only time your soul will find the rest that it's looking for is when you are reconciled to the God who created you and you are finding your rest in him. There is no rest for your soul anywhere else. He says, because your uncleanness brings about grievous destruction. In verse 11, Micah is the friend they need because of the preacher they currently have. Here's how he characterizes it. He says, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. You're like a, beer, a sermon about beer and wine. Like, what's that? Um, that is just kind of a, a, a colloquial phrase for Micah saying, they're just giving you messages of peace and prosperity. You're just, you're just, they're just marching into their, their consumer-driven churches, and they're telling you what you want to hear. They're just telling you how to be happy. They're telling you how to be a great family or how to make some money or how to retire early. Or they're telling you all these, they're giving you all these moral lessons so that you can be happy and live a good life now. But Micah says they're just wind and lies. Or we would say they're just blowing smoke. When clearly, Micah would say, your sin is an incurable wound, and it is going to bring absolute disaster. That's what Mike is saying. He's the friend who's going to look us in the eyes and speak the truth to us. Your sin is an incurable wound. Absolute disaster. Okay, so there's all the doom that you would expect from a prophet. There it is, cycle one. But then hope, verses 12 and 13, Micah points to a rescuing shepherd king. 
In verse 12, we see, I will, three times, God says, I will assemble, I will gather, and I will set my people together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in a pasture, a noisy multitude of men, a lot of people. And what he's talking about is, as a shepherd, he is going to gather his people together in captivity, right? They're still, they're, they're going to experience this judgment, but here's, here's what our God is going to do. He is going to use the judgment as the starting point for healing their incurable wound. That's how he's going to work as a shepherd. Well, who's going to be healed? Whose incurable wound is going to be healed? Micah says he uses the word a remnant, a remnant. So that's a pretty important word to us for us to hear then. Like if it's the remnant that's going to be healed, who's the remnant? Well, the remnant would be those who listen to Micah's voice and respond to Micah's voice. In other words, agreeing with God. So rather than being in denial, like I'm not systemically a rebel, a remnant would, a person in the remnant would say, oh, wow, nobody's ever really pointed it out to me like that. But you're exactly right. I have systemic rebellion in my heart and I understand I am bound for judgment unless I run from this rebellion and run back to my father. That's somebody who's in the remnant, somebody who listens and responds to Micah's voice. And Micah said, this shepherd will also be a rescuing king. Look at verse 13. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate. Going out by it, their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So Micah tells them about a rescuing shepherd king who will cure them and who will break them out and bring them back to their father. Micah's saying, guys, listen, your sin is an incurable wound. It's disaster. If not for the promised rescuing king, the shepherd king that I'm telling you about right now. Which, guys... Does that not give extreme life to Jesus' own words in the gospel? For example, John 10, verse 11, what does he say of himself? I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is not only the curing shepherd, he's the rescuing king. Jesus is the shepherd who cares for and heals many incurable wounds. And Jesus is the king who breaks me out. He opens the breach and he brings me back to the father. Jesus is the promised rescuing shepherd king. Some of you have been raised in traditions where you just live in perpetual fear that Jesus wants to absolutely crush you and destroy you. Do you want a glimpse of Jesus' heart? He needs you to hear of those hard things. He's speaking those hard things to you, but here's his heart. Jesus wants to be the shepherd that cures your incurable wound. You don't have to, you don't have to persist in your rebellion to judgment. You can be healed by Jesus, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus can and will be your king who, I love that language, the breach has to be broken. There is no other way for the wall to be broken through. Jesus alone breaks the hole in the wall. You're, you're trapped in your rebellion. You're trapped in the systemic nature of your rebellion. But Jesus, as your king, breaks a hole in the wall and leads you out from your rebellion and back to the Father. So let's consider these final points. Uh, as it, we, we look at their story. How about our story? Our story is this. John Ransom's sin would be an incurable wound, disaster. 
if not for Jesus, my rescuing shepherd king. My rebellion is an incurable wound leading to disaster. It's interesting that Micah looked out and named every town, right? Guys, we need to slow down enough. And I, man, I challenge you to do this. Sit down later. Write down the names of all the towns that you have lived in. Let Micah speak with you. Write down the names of your duty stations. Write down the seasons of your life. Write down the relationships that you have been in. You know what exists in every one of those towns and duty stations? Systemic rebellion. You know what exists in every one of those relationships? In every one of those seasons? Some piece of brokenness that is a result of either our own rebellion or the wounds that we bear because of another person's rebellion. And here's a hard thought, but a true thought. There are people in this world who bear incurable wounds because of my rebellion from the Father. And we need that hard word spoken to us. It's not just that I have an incurable wound. There are people in this world that have an incurable wound because of my own rebellion from the God who created me. My rebellion can be named... We know that love is at the root of all rebellion. We step out under God's love for us. We cease loving God. And when that love is, 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 is passed, we, we, there is rebellion that will take place. So love is at the root, but we can name specific fruit or evidences of our loveless rebellion. And I'm not going to rattle off a list right now, but if Micah were talking to us, he would help us come up with that list. We need to name specifically our rebellion. My rebellion can not only be named, it will be judged. Either you will take the judgment for your rebellion, or Jesus will be your promised rescuing shepherd king, and he will take your judgment in your place for you. But there will be judgment. There has to be justice. So either you will bear it, or Jesus will bear it in your place. Our new friend Micah is the voice that we need to listen to right now. Yeah, we need to read Micah, but we need to be read by Micah. We need to sit with him and wail and lament and hope as we look together at Jesus, our rescuing shepherd king. So friend, listen, your rebellion does not have to be an incurable wound any longer. Your rebellion does not have to lead to your absolute disaster. If you will look to Jesus as your rescuing shepherd king, your wound will be cured And he will take the disaster in your place. So rather than knowing death, you know life. And so my question for you and Micah's question to you this morning is, have you? Have you looked to Jesus as your rescuing shepherd king? And if you have not, I would implore you to take this moment with our family as we all again look to Jesus, our promised rescuing king. And Ron's going to come now and Lead us in a moment as a family where we, we're given a little bit of silence, and then Ron will lead us in a, in a prayer of confession. He will lead us to look at Jesus in this way.